0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to Alzheimer Speaks. I'm thrilled you're back with us. We are going to have a really interesting conversation about how speech therapy can really benefit those with dementia. And I can't wait to introduce you to our guests. But first, I'm going to do a couple of shout outs. One is just to remind people that on November 10th, I'll be down in Texas in Amarillo for the 17th Annual Caregiver Conference by the Area Agency of Aging. And you can register for that at 806-331-2227. And I would love to be able to, to see you there. Also, if you're looking for a support group, I do do a virtual group on the second and fourth Wednesday of each month. Just email me at radio at alzheimerspeaks.com and we can get you that information that is sponsored by Arthur Senior Care. And what else? Um, please check out Alzheimer's Speaks free educational resources. We have a ton of them there. You'll also find our book tab with Betty the Bald Chicken. And you'll also want to check out Dementia Map, which is our global resource directory that has over 150 different categories to search. There's wonderful articles and events you can find there as well. So let's go ahead and introduce you to our guest today. Well, Avivit, I am so excited to have you on the show. A really important topic that we're going to be talking about, speech therapy and how it can benefit people with dementia. So I'm going to have you, if you don't mind, in, um, introduce yourself.
1: Sure. My name is Avivit Ben-Aharon, and I am a speech language pathologist. I've been a speech therapist for about 20 years now, which sounds really long. (laughs) And uh, I am the founder and clinical director of Great Speech Inc., which is a virtual speech therapy company.
0: Wonderful. Thank you. Now, I always ask every single one of my guests if they've been personally touched by dementia in their own family or circle of friends. So if you wouldn't mind sharing that with us.
1: Yes, absolutely. So a few years back, my husband's mother, my mother-in-law was diagnosed with dementia and it's been really such an eye-opening experience for us having to see the struggles that she's going through and the limited availability of therapeutic intervention that is being offered to her. Um, and I'm just always amazed to see like, what it really takes a village to help somebody who is diagnosed with um, such a condition to really ensure that they maintain a quality of life and are really helped through therapy.
0: So I want to have you share with us exactly what Great Speech is and why did you start it?
1: So Great Speech is a virtual speech therapy provider um, network, and we provide speech therapy services for members all across the U.S. We're licensed right now in 47 states um, and we provide services to both kids and adults. Oftentimes people perceive speech therapy as something for mostly for kids, but speech therapy really um, can support so many different clients at so many different ages. Um, we work a lot with adults who have been diagnosed with dementia, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, traumatic brain injury, various cancers, Um, and we really see the benefits of um, supporting and improving quality of life and connections with uh, therapy. Um, What's unique about us is that we really did start way before COVID. So our model has been since 2014, it's always been a virtual model, and it was specifically designed in mind to try to maintain an easier uh, approach for families and caregivers, To therapy. So, not having to take somebody to a clinic or not having to find a local clinic made a huge difference in patients' participation and attendance in therapy. The convenience factor made a huge difference for clients being able to maintain a consistent schedule. And with that, we're seeing really significant results.
0: Oh, that's fantastic that that time and going out in public, you know, people don't understand how much it takes sometimes, especially if you're dealing with someone who, like you said, might have a traumatic brain injury or dementia, depending on where someone is in the process. If they're understanding, I I know my mom used to get, um, and she lived with dementia for 30 years. She used to get really anxious going to the doctor, like what's wrong with me? And then she would just spin and spin and spin on that. Absolutely. And we see
1: that, we see that both with pediatric patients and with the adult patients. So like you mentioned about your mom, it would would be very anxious for them to get ready, to get dressed, to have to leave the house, familiar setting, who is going to be in the waiting room. Are they going to talk to me? Are they going to ask me a question? It just allowed, it just created so much extra stress that was really not necessary. And we find that to be true even with our pediatric patients. They're so much calmer not having to rush out of the house in order to get to a clinic on time. And then mom has to find a parking spot. And I had a, a really sweet boy a couple of months back who said to us, like thank you. Now my mom doesn't have to yell at me because I'm running, I'm making her run late to therapy and she gets so annoyed when we are late. Um so you know every family has its own dynamics, but nowadays when people are so busy and accessibility is really such a easy um such an easy thing it's easy to leverage this technology to really support the clients where they are and I think it makes a huge difference in their participation in therapy
0: oh yeah well and like with my mom with any doctor appointment you know we used to be able to tell her a couple weeks in advance then it was a week then it was two days then it was like no we're just gonna have to take her out and slide her out and go so this is just so simple absolutely Absolutely. in your house and when you were talking about going to the doctor I had a flashback when I was a kid Um, This is hilarious. But my dad used to take us to the dentist all the time. And my mom, you know, because sometimes appointments, different people have to take you. And so my mom took us to the dentist. She parked in the parking ramp and we went to leave. And all three of us kids were like, no, you go down this way. You go down this way. Here my mom is driving down the up ramp because my dad used to park at a different (laughs) level. So funny. And, and she said, I'm never taking them again. You know, I mean, she was <laughs> sweating. And, and she had gotten down probably three rounds and then she had to back, back up of or course, she was ready yes. to kill us. But yeah, all those goofy little stressors that you don't yeah. anticipate can come into Absolutely.
1: play. <laughs> Absolutely. They are. They're there stressors. And then it's also the inability to find therapists that specialize in the kind of care that you need specifically for yourself or for a loved one. So not every clinician is comfortable with working with the adult population or in a rehab type of um, support. And it's really essential to find a therapist who can be of value and improve your skill set. So if you're not if the therapist is not familiar with your specific condition or your specific uh, symptoms, then it makes it so much harder for them to really improve and help you get to the goals that you want to try to achieve. Um, so I think that's what ends up happening is that a lot of people just don't have access to the kind of care that would really help improve their um, their deficits and their challenges.
0: Yeah. Well, and and I think you're right. It's hard to find somebody now and then to get into an appointment. And Absolutely. again, this eases the burden. Now, your therapist, you, I think you had mentioned you're in 47 different states. Yes. So are, yes. are therapists specific to a state or do some have uh, are they licensed in more than one state? Yes. All of
1: our team members have multiple licenses. So it allows us to leverage their skill sets in different states. Um, And some states, obviously, we have multiple therapists that can support that state. Um, But it really uh, allows us to be able to provide the kind of care and the kind of therapy that's not dependent on geographical limitations. And we really leverage time zones um, and we leverage times. So it's interesting to see that as time progresses and people are more comfortable with this virtual model, we are now seeing younger kids that are five and six. And we start seeing them at six or seven o'clock at night, which you would think ordinarily is like too late already to start therapy. But these kids already had their dinner. They're already showered. They're wearing their PJs and they do the therapy. And then after that, they go to bed. And it's like, it's a, diff- it's a, it's a shift. It's like a mind shift of, wow, such a little kid doing therapy so late. But for a lot of families, by the time parents come home from work and get themselves settled and finish homework and all that, they need the later hours, Um that allows them to to be able to work um, and do this kind of therapy. And then this way they're doing it in an area where mom and dad are within an earshot of the therapy. And with the older patients, what we're seeing is that a lot of times the caregivers, whether it's their kids or a loved one or whomever, can log in remotely to to the sessions as well. So it's not uncommon for us to have a you know, a child who lives in, in we had recently somebody who's in California and the parent lives in, I think it was Florida, and the, the child logged into the session remotely and participated in the session with their parents. And it was really so touch, touching to see everybody being together and the child's kind of sharing some valuable information about their parents. And it was just all around, it was a very, very meaningful session.
0: Well, you know, the other thing I was thinking about with the, those evening hours right before bed, you know, unconsciously, they're thinking about that when they're sleeping, which I would think would, you know, be an added benefit.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. And people are just like more at that time of the day already are more relaxed. They're not trying to rush and fit in more things. And I think it just changes the whole uh, perception of what therapy is and how, you know, accessibility is and how it could just blend into your day and not be something that is really challenging and you really need to maneuver the entire schedule around to to make it fit. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-494-8310. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-494-8310. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not
0: be available in all states. Wonderful. Well, let's talk about um, like Alzheimer's disease and dementia. How people can benefit um, who have a form of dementia? Or do you work just with people with Alzheimer's? I should probably clarify we- that
1: we absolutely work with both but again to in in more of the 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 earlier stages um the stages where we feel like we can still somewhat slow down the progression or teach skills that would be beneficial in maintaining connection in maintaining communication skills um and and it's interesting to see because oftentimes and i'm seeing it with my own Mother-in-law and the the process that so much of it is dependent on pharmaceutical intervention and so little of it is dependent on therapy intervention. But there are so many things that we could do ahead of an official diagnosis. Sometimes when people just start to feel like something is a little off um, and there are some concerns, that's a good time to seek out some some uh, you know some support to see if there's something more there. Is it just that the patient is getting older? Are they typical? Signs of just typical aging, or is it something more? Um, it warrants a little more uh, intervention.
0: Okay, wonderful. Um, can you give us some examples of, of maybe things that people with dementia struggle with speech wise? Because I know there's all different types of of angles that you guys you know work with and strategize with people.
1: Absolutely. So yeah, I mean, I, mostly it's it's communication that we're looking for maintaining conversation, retrieving words, being able to recall information, being able to organize um, yourself. You know, sometimes it's as simple as working on skills that are related to life, um, to to just activities of daily living, even something as, as simple as, you know, how to balance a checkbook or how to look at the calendar or how to maintain a calendar or things like that, depending on the stage where the client requires intervention will determine what kind of skills are we looking for. And we can do anything from, you know, sometimes we'll just look at the newspaper articles and analyze some articles and talk about some concepts in the article. So depending on where the client is, we'll determine how far we can go with our Um, intervention. And again, the the more mild cases or the earlier cases are definitely easier in some ways to address um, because we can really then set the tone and begin the process at an earlier stage than somebody who's already been diagnosed years back and it's already showing more challenges when it comes to communication.
0: Okay fantastic well if you have just tuned in you're probably going to want to reel back and listen from the beginning we have been talking with avi beat and and she is the founder and clinical director of great speech inc which is a virtual speech therapy company which was founded back in 2014 so they were way ahead of covid and all this uh telehealth stuff that we're seeing now uh, she has been recognized as a trailblazer uh, nationwide for her virtual access for speech therapy and allowing anyone who is committed to improving their communications to receive expert service, which is really, really admirable. They're in 47 different states, which is fantastic. And they've got you know flexible schedules and stuff, which is very interesting as well. And so we're going to be talking next about uh, we've touched a little bit on, you know, Alzheimer's disease and dementia, um, but we're going to continue that conversation here as well. But you can always go and find her on LinkedIn. You can go to their website. Great speech. Um, They also have a great speech on LinkedIn as well. And they are on Twitter. So let's uh, let's talk a little bit again about speech therapy and individuals with um, with Alzheimer's disease and and how about other types of dementias like Lewy body and vascular and FTD. Do you see um, distinct differences in terms of needs.
1: Um, And not necessarily distinct differences. It really depends on to what stage of the diagnosis are we called in for. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, I think what's interesting now is that we're seeing more and more patients that are younger and younger, Um, where I think when I was initially starting in this field some 20 years ago, um, it was a lot more common to see this with the older population. Now we're seeing symptoms and People who have concerns at a much younger age, it could be as simple as just people are more aware um, and people are more in touch with, you know, what they feel is within the normal range for them and what's different than what they're expecting um, and they know to seek out help a little bit earlier maybe physicians are more on top of things, maybe family history is more prevalent with certain with certain types of uh, dementia and Alzheimer's. So I think there's like a very wide uh, range, but what's interesting to note is that we're definitely seeing diagnoses now much younger. Um, and it's just, it impacts life in a different way, I think. And again, in some ways, the younger generation of patients are much more comfortable working with this virtual model. So it, in some ways it really does work.
0: Okay. So when you say younger, what are you talking? In 50s, 40s, 50s, which again,
1: I, I would have expected it to be, well, it used to be much more of an older diagnosis so you're certainly seeing it at a younger age and you we're seeing a lot of different kind of of ailments today that we didn't see um in the past at younger ages so you see a lot more stroke victims you're seeing a lot more um traumatic brain injury cancers um people with feeding and swallowing issues and things like that that are typically typically was thought of for the older like you know Patients in their 70s and 80s and 90s, yes, you would expect it. But when you're starting to see people, I mean, we've had multiple stroke victims that are in their early 30s. And that's, that's definitely newer. And I definitely don't think that was, you know, back in, you know, 20 years ago, that was so common.
0: What about people with aphasia when they have the jarbled words? And absolutely,
1: the- yeah. That's as a byproduct of stroke or traumatic brain injury. Or absolutely, you're definitely seeing more of that. You're seeing people who have a harder time coordinating their musculature in their mouth and their tongue. So people who sound like they're having a harder time communicating and expressing themselves. Bell's palsy. People who've had some sort of, um, you know, paresis or some sort of a. Uh, um, paralysis of muscles or coordination of muscles or poor coordination of muscles, people who tend to drool. I mean, again, these are things that are much more common now for us to see in our practice. Um And again, much more common for us to see at a younger age. Um And, and I think part of it is that just people are very aware and they know to, you know, to seek out help. And part of it is just, I think our lifestyles and, and, um, the stress that a lot of us are under a lot more, uh, anxiety, things like that, that probably are contributing to the influx of these other communication elements.
0: So for this, is this a private pay or can they get referred through their doctors? How does that work?
1: Great question. So one of the differences that I really think COVID improved, in so many ways, is because of the fact that during COVID, we've had much more accessibility to telehealth in general, and specifically to these specific areas of interventions such as speech therapy, occupational therapy, and physical therapy. Um, Insurance companies are much better now about reimbursing. Um, We are definitely within network within many, many companies now, and they're listed on our website. Um, So we are covered by insurance, by a lot of the insurance plans that are available today, commercially um, and Medicare. And um, if not, then it can be paid through private pay or HSA, FSA funds and things like that. So we we take those funds as well.
0: Okay. And, uh, you know, a couple of things that I wanted to ask you was in terms of benefits for the patient. What do you see in terms of their confidence level and just kind of the whole dignity piece for them?
1: So I think it's a confidence level, definitely a booster where they feel more comfortable being able to communicate or at least know what to do if they get stuck on a word. I, we see it a lot with patients who struggle with getting the words out or they can't think of a word or they're having a hard time retrieving the the, the right word. So during the therapy sessions, we work a lot on skills that help to improve those Um, and I think having, having something at your disposal to be able to use as a tool, I think is super helpful for a lot of patients, especially in a social situation. So the byproduct of that is that you are more social and less likely to go into isolation and experience depression or experience feeling of, of negative self, um, image because of the way you're communicating. So I think in so many ways, seeking this kind of help really ensures that less likely that you will feel the isolation that is often associated with any kind of communication need. Um, And I think one of the beautiful things that we're seeing today is that people are much more open to, um, they're, they're much less judgmental or much less judgy when it comes to somebody with a communication need. I feel like people are much more open today to having those kind of conversations and say, oh, okay, I, I understand. So you have, you're, you're a stutterer or you have dementia or you have Alzheimer's. These are conversations that I think people are more comfortable today having um, and setting expectations, which I think is very good. But I think the key thing is to ensure that the social connections are not um, terminated because of the diagnosis. And I think if that's something that we can support and ensure that people are still maintaining a very active lifestyle and a lifestyle where they feel comfortable socializing and interacting whether it's with family or with friends I think that's super important and that's why I love the the session when we have caregivers or we have children or we have whomever logging into the session sometimes it's even as simple as a friend a good friend and it just creates a very natural conversation um and I think it's really important to have that
0: yeah well because we can all learn and I'm a big believer in social engagement and um building building that tribe that you're comfortable with yeah absolutely and understanding now with um the care partners what do you think it does for them to have their person going to speech therapy
1: Again, fantastic question, because I think what it is, is first of all, it allows them to feel like they're doing something. They're supporting um the intervention journey, which I think is so important. Everybody wants to feel like they're contributing in some way. Um, So knowing that there's something that they're doing that can be helpful, I think is super, super, um, it's super positive and super reinforcing. And, you know, getting some tools, sometimes it's about how do I communicate with my mom now that her... Ability to understand me has diminished. So how should I be speaking with her? So just having these conversations with the therapist to get some suggestions and ideas of what's the best way to communicate, what's the best way to improve quality of life, uh, maintain skills. We, we you know we oftentimes remind our patients the, the value of looking at pictures and albums and retrieving some of that information from the past and who is this person and tell me about this person and and you know getting to know your family member in a, on a different level i think is super important and it it during therapy we remind our patients and their caregivers of these kind of things that they can do together whether it's reading an article together or just maintaining the brain's activity I think is super important. Maintaining skills is super important. And it gives, I think it gives caregivers a lot of ideas and suggestions as to what they can do on their own to ensure that they're supporting their loved ones. Because ultimately that's what anybody wants. They want to know that there's something that they can do um, to facilitate communication, to improve communication, to ensure that uh, the client doesn't feel isolated or doesn't feel um, alone and i think it's really important
0: yeah well just to have that understanding of the why's behind mm-hmm. what's happening mm-hmm. i think i think so often um care partners and and it happens unconsciously but they feel like their loved one is like um pushing their buttons you know and it's like no this isn't something that they can control typically and uh you know if they if they could wish this wouldn't be the issue that they were dealing with and stuff and, you know, when care partners are tired and exhausted, a lot of times we can snap and not be the most gracious and stuff. So any tools that can support us on that, I think are are really, really um, helpful there. Um, Absolutely. And I, if
1: I could just add, I think also what happens is by having these kind of open conversations, we're reminding a lot of our caregivers that the person who is in front of them today is struggling and it's not the same person that they're necessarily used to and the behaviors, especially the behaviors, when the behaviors become more prominent, it's much harder to remember that it, you know, how could it be that my mom is speaking to me this way? And we've had clients say that to us. Like I don't understand how could she possibly be this mean or say these mean things or but then you have to sort of bring it back to this is this is a person who's struggling right now. This is a person who's going through something and it doesn't this is not the same person necessarily that you expect. And the expectations need to be accordingly.
0: Yeah. Well, and one of the things you use the term behavior, which most of us do, but I think about, you know, someone who is struggling, how often they're told it's a behavior, you know, and, and that is not a compliment and and they know that. And so that just kind of adds to their frustration. So I think we have to really kind of put on that investigative hat about the whys and really look at those reactions truly as reactions, as clues, as signals it's something is off and it might be something that is that is fixable or controllable and it might be something that's not you know like you know it could be that the the brain has just degenerated in that area and the personality has changed like if they've got frontal temporal lobe you know something on that order uh but it might just be out of frustration they might be in pain they might be you know they might be hungry because they can't swallow or they might be thirsty and their throat's dry Um, all of those little things can, can really add up. And then, you know, when we're not feeling good, then we usually don't sleep as good. You know, I mean, so there's just layer after layer after layer. Yeah.
1: and then you take medications, and then the medications have side effects, and then you take medications for the side effects, and then have other side effects, and it becomes this never-ending cycle, and it's a hard place to be both for the patient and for the caregiver, there's no doubt, um, I'm a firm believer wherever is possible to join uh support groups, see who's available in the community, uh, what support the caregivers need and what support the patient needs. And especially for the caregivers, it's just like that analogy in the, you know, on the plane. First, you got to put the oxygen mask on yourself and then take care of the, you know, the person next to you. And it's really that, that important that you first and foremost, make sure that you are in a position that you feel supported and that you have the strength and the the ability to support your loved one. Mm-hmm.
0: Have you guys ever um, thought of, or maybe you're already doing support groups within your group just so that people have that chance to be able to test themselves out with others that are struggling with kind of the same thing?
1: So we've attempted to set up a few support groups, especially during COVID, but it logistically becomes much more challenging, different time zones, different clinicians, insurances are not always working when it comes to, you know, that type of uh, group activity, but there typically are ones in the library, in the local library or the local, you know, school nearby. And I I find that those groups are more accessible even. Um, And there are virtual groups as well that are available. Um, So there are definitely resources and there are definitely supports uh, that is, that are available for both the patients and the caregivers. And I think just people sometimes have to think outside the box. For example, we had a, a client who reached out, um, and also was post stroke. Um, so very hard to understand his ability to, to speak. It was really a struggle. And it happens to be that the uh, office manager picked up the call and was speaking with him. And she understood from him that he was having a hard time figuring out how to do this virtual setup. So she was thinking outside the box and she reached out to his local library, the public library in his neighborhood. She figured out based on where he lives. She Googled where the library is. She reached out to the library um, and set him up with a session, a weekly session with the therapist in his local library. He could get there himself. um, And there is a laptop waiting for him and headphones waiting for him every, every time he has a session scheduled. And it was just a way to use the resources in the community to really support him and ensure that he gets the therapy that he needs. And that was I always I find this to be like the best way to use resources um, and being able to really reach as many people as we can.
0: Oh, that's great. I didn't even think about hooking up with the libraries because they all have that accessibility. They all
1: have it. Yes, and they have a lot of resources available, especially for patients that are older. Um, and sometimes it's just a matter of getting them to the library. But once they're in the library, there there are librarians there who can set them up and get them situated with the computer and it's less intimidating. Um and the connectivity situation is tends to be better. And if there is an issue that there's is people there to reach out to, because sometimes that's what it is. The the patients are just too nervous by the fact that it's online and how do I log in and how do I get in touch with the therapist and just seems a little daunting for them so having that set up in the library was fantastic and it becomes almost like a social and now now this patient has like a plan every Tuesday and Thursday he knows he needs to get to the library and then he hangs out there with the librarians and they chit chat and it becomes like a social outlet for him and I think it's just awesome
0: oh sweet and then you feel part of the community then yeah, yeah
1: yeah and you remind people that there are resources which i think is incredible i mean i could see just in the library here around here that we have they have chair yoga and they have conversational um system, uh, support groups and things that are not necessarily therapeutic per se but they are so beneficial um to maintain skills
0: yeah well, and and I guess I would argue that they are therapeutic um, from a social level. And Correct. I, Absolutely. And I think we need more of them because I think 100%. They, I think the the power of them is really undervalued in our mm-hmm. healthcare system. And I and I just personally I think it's kind of shameful because it, it makes such a difference when somebody feels part of their community. You know,
1: so. They feel part of, they feel positive, they feel engaged in in a meaningful way. Uh, they feel like they have a purpose. Now they have, they have, it's a set schedule. Now we're going to get up in the morning. We have a plan. We're going to get ready. We're going to get dressed. Like there's a plan. There's a purpose. So even for the ones who are more homebound, it's good for them to have a plan, Mm -hmm. um, where they know that the therapist is coming and, you know, and doing the session virtually and getting set up and all that. And it's, it's something to look forward to. And I think for a lot of our patients, that's huge. Um, and, and yes, again, just reminding that they're, Families that there are a lot of resources in the community, and a lot of times the therapist will go that extra mile and really try to help the families figure out what resources are available within
0: their community. yep, wonderful. Well, this has been a great conversation. Is there anything Thank that we haven't covered yet? um no i I really think
1: that you know as more research comes out as uh, to the benefit of therapy and intervention um and again, it coupled with the pharmaceutical um Interventions. I think it's really so important to have to have both, not just forget about these skills. There's so much benefit, so, so much evidence of the benefit of therapy to improve the quality of life, reduce isolation um, and really ensure that patients have a longer sense of belonging and connection with family and their community. And I think that's so important. And I really hope more and more people will look into Adding therapy into their intervention plan.
0: Yeah, I would. I would really like to, and I've been pushing um, researchers on this to add this into their trials. And they're like, "Well, we really can't. You know, we have to have the placebo, and then we have to have the drug." And I'm like, "But you could have a third, because when when you're getting that social support, it. I believe, and I'm not a medical or a researcher." It changes your whole metabolic system, absolutely. and absolutely. which could affect then the medication. And I think absolutely. they're I think they're missing um, a huge area that could be really beneficial. But absolutely, keep- and
1: I I really do agree with you. I I think that is a movement that we really need to move towards. Yes, there's a lot of benefits to pharmaceuticals. I I will be the first one to say, but there's also definite um, research and studies that show the support of doing the intervention as well and really ensuring that mentally um, and emotionally the clients feel that their needs are being met and it's not just okay I took a pill and now what um, yep. I took a pill but I, I went outside and I went to the library and I did chair yoga and I did these exercises and I spoke to people and I socialized and I think that that's when you really see the benefits
0: exactly exactly yeah absolutely well, and wrap, Thank you. wrap it up we have been talking with Vivit and she is with Great Speech, and uh, which is a, a virtual speech therapy group that is really, you know, changing how therapies are being delivered and changing people's lives in a dramatic, dramatic way. So I really encourage people to be a giver of hope and like, click, and share, and follow uh, her. You know, it's it's important that we get this information out to people. You've got people in your sphere that you know are probably dealing with things that they haven't told you and the more we can push this information out and make it you know friendly accessible uh the more lives we're going to be able to change the more information we're going to be able to hear in order to be able to devise products, services and tools to meet those needs as well so please join us in being a giver of hope Again, you can go to their website directly, which is greatspeech.com. They are on LinkedIn um, and Twitter as well, but check them out. So again, in wrapping up, don't forget to check out alzheimerspeaks.com for all of our free educational resources and more. Uh, You might also be interested in our book, Betty the Bald Chicken, which it talks about how we feel when we don't feel like we fit in or belong. It's written as a children's book, um, but all ages are using this for therapy. It's just a great way to have a conversation on how we care. We'll catch you next time. Bye-bye. Hi, everyone. This is Meredith from the Senior Fitness with Meredith podcast, where I discuss all things for seniors. From fitness, your health and wellness journeys, how to be all over strong and beyond,